Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. What do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward <laughs> <laughs> even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that rocket science? I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with my guys, Fred Katz on the East Coast, Anthony Slater on the West Coast. Slater, I'm going to start with you because um, this week, as we get ready to talk about all things trade deadline yet again, I think it's uh, 17 days-ish until February 10th. We're getting closer and closer It feels like it's been about three and a half hours since you and I podcasted last. I was a guest on your All 82 Warriors pod. Make sure people check that out. But uh, a lot of themes here that um, that we got to get into and and plenty of good topics. What's up, brother? You're looking you're looking a little weary. You okay? Unbelievable. Second time this guy's mentioned it off air. Now he throws me under the bus on air. I'm projecting. It's called projecting. This is an audio podcast. For all the listeners know, I'm eating grapes, looking. He looks like hell, people. He looks like hell. (laughs) I woke up like 10 minutes ago because Sam Amick wants to talk trades. And when Sam Amick sends out the trade bat call, even if I was talking Warriors Jazz four hours earlier in a Tesla on I-80, I get up. And I, it was a, it was a hero drive, brother. We had a guy flying by us at like ninety five. We had I think you're traffic generous with ninety five. Yeah, it was like one twenty. We had traffic coming to a quick halt. Uh, like you said, this is a visual pod, so the people cannot see Fred Katz currently sitting in a virtual airplane on our Skype call. We're going Skype this week. We changed it up. Fred, you have a a cup of coffee that's the size of your entire head in front of you on the screen. Otherwise. On the East Coast, how the hell are you, brother? I'm good. I, you know, I'm just honored to look ten times better than Slater right now. <laughs> so I, I took it off airplane mode, but um, is it back? I mean, I, I, went back I have, I have Slater in a little box, and whoever speaks, and then I have airplane mode still there. It's, it's. Uh, I'm gonna leave it there. It's light. I like the uh, the levity that that is gonna be part of this podcast, guys. When you're talking in the middle seat, by the way. <laughs> Where am I? I am in the middle seat. Yeah. Hey, bro, switch over to the window. <laughs> this makes no sense. The that, listeners are very That is confused. the worst person when you're traveling and there is 
you're just in the aisle or you're in the window and the other one is open and the person who's in the middle seat just doesn't take the open seat and they stay in the middle seat. That is absolutely unquestionably the worst type of person. It is indeed. He's, now for, He's reading newspaper and drinking coffee too. It's unbelievable. But anyway. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm afraid of our listeners leaving us because they, they can't see what the hell we're talking about. So here we go, boys. Um, ben Simmons is a topic that I, I kind of just admitted to you privately, now publicly, that, that yes, does kind of, uh, even from a coverage standpoint, uh, the, you know, that topic is becoming a bit tiresome, but it's also front and center and, and very, very relevant to the activity of the league this morning, myself and Sham Sharania reporting the latest on that front. And the general idea that Philly uh, is, is certainly not blown away by the current market and seems to have its eyes on the summertime and a dream scenario of James Harden, if not James, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, guys like that, Jalen Brown, you know the story. Um, but you know, for now, sees, you know, really seems like Philly um, is looking at that prospect and the idea that even though Joel Embiid is playing like an MVP, that it's counterintuitive that is inspiring more patience as a, as opposed to pressure. Um, they feel like they've got to get this right for the next four or five years as opposed to the next four or five months. Um, you don't have to agree with that stance, but that is the intel but guys, the way we're going to frame it and spin it is we talk about the entire league and try to get to some other teams beyond Philly, beyond Brooklyn or these usual suspects that we normally talk about is that it seemed not too long ago like the Simmons situation would be a you know kind of an obstacle or the first domino to fall in trade season. You now start to wonder if some of these teams that have been in the mix for him have unofficially given up and will perhaps move on to, to other things. Fred, you had a, a few thoughts. So, you know, we can start with Minnesota. Um, you know, our guy John Krasinski out there, always covering it very, very well. And he's had the T Wolves tied to Simmons, tied to Miles Turner, but Sachin Gupta, their GM who is trying to secure the job long term, uh, I think feels a, a need to to make some noise out there. They've showed just enough promise this season that you know they're fighting for playoff position and, and look like maybe if you. If you added a good piece that could they could uh, move up those standings a little bit. What are your thoughts uh, out in Minnesota to start there? They're very interesting because they're better than I thought they would be. Uh, you know, you know what's you look at them right now, and 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 at the time of recording, they're five hundred, they're twenty three and twenty three, and they're they're seventh in the Western Conference. But you look at some of their best lineups, and you're like, okay, there's the potential. Like their their starters. Are just are going gangbusters on the league right now. I don't have the numbers called up in front of me. Their starting lineup is one of the best high high minutes lineups in the entire league right now. Uh, I think Carl Anthony Towns is is probably in the midst of his best season ever right now. And there's, I mean, there's there's pressure there to to stay in the play in tournament, right? And and right now, I mean, as of the time we're recording this, they're a game and a half out of six. Like there is there is a chance that they end up climbing out of the play in tournament if they make a move that makes them better. If it's not Simmons, I don't know what that move is. And and to be honest, at the start of the year when you started hearing noise about them as a Simmons team before Gerson Rosas even even uh you know was let go there and before Gupta took over, like I I was like, really? Like that's that's what you're doing. You're really chasing chasing tenth with with Ben Simmons and trying to lock in lock in this core, I guess, for the next couple of years. Is this is this really what you want to do? But I do think it makes a little bit more sense now that we've seen like 
they've they've got some guys. Like it's not just Towns and and D'Angelo Russell. Like their reputation states. Like Jared Vanderbilt has been extremely good for them as as just like a do everything four man who's way better than his counting numbers. And 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 you look down like they've got. They've got some talent. Anthony Edwards is really turning into a legitimately extremely good player. Like they've they've got something there. Um, so I don't know. I I that's that's an organization that's been to playoffs once in the last decade and a half. Uh, and and I think I think there could be something there, but I don't know what is like Slater. Is there a move if it's not Simmons? Is there a move you see like okay? This this makes a lot of sense for them. Well, number one, best lineup in the league that has played more than 150 minutes together. They have a net rating of 30.7. Looking at it now, 130 offensive. It's absurd. Rating. They're just destroying yeah, other teams. 99 defensive rating. I think one of their big problems, and I mean, I think this is the reason why I see no path to them for Simmons is like D'Angelo Russell is kind of like the piece to make a big move happen, right? Because you're not going to trade Edwards, you're not going to trade Towns. D'Angelo Russell's kind of a negative value contract. Um, you know, to I, he's having a better year for them, better season for them than um, maybe, well, certainly than last year. But just like, I think he's upped his value to them this season. But I just don't think if you, if you, you know, plop that into the league, uh, it's going to, you know, net you much back. I mean, I, I guess, what, could they get in on like Jeremy Grant sweepstakes? Would that even make sense? Or like, you know, what would even be a fit for them? I don't think so on the grant front. I think I think the grant market has been, and obviously the the young, you know, Pistons um, player who chooses to leave Denver, go to Detroit, somewhat personal, very close with Troy Weaver out there, um, and and you know, kind of a neat move that that our James Edwards at the time, Pistons beat writer, had chronicled. And and so, listen, the Pistons obviously have not been as successful as they'd hoped. And so it, it's natural that we now are wondering about Jeremy's future, but I'll say this much. I mean, the Pistons rolled through my neck of the woods somewhat recently, and I was able to get some clarity on Grant's situation. And I, and I know this is what every team says this time of year, but like, it's another one of those, like you're going to have to blow the Pistons away. They're not really eager to move Jeremy. And I don't see, you know, a Russell or anybody like that on the T-Wolves roster getting the job done. D'Angelo in general, I mean, Slater, you you know him well from your time covering him. And like you said, the optics around him have gotten a little better. And listen, his, his deal is up after next season, $31.3 million. Um, You know, the length of it is somewhat advantageous. It's, it's a whole lot better than having, you know, more years than that. But but it's it's a probably on the short list of, of you know, one of the, the worst deals in the league at the moment. It makes me think a little bit of you know, Tobias Harris, good player, but but I've learned through this trade season how different teams see that contract. I mean, I've had teams tell me, you know, that's maybe the worst contract in the league, even even a Westbrook. I mean, Russ is up after next year. So in general, I think D'Angelo is 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 just not getting anybody excited to cooperate with Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that you have to take into account is, and and I'm going to quote a great reporter who I know, who happens to be on this podcast and was just talking before me, and this is from the Simmons story that you wrote this morning with Sham Sam. The 76ers believe in Tyrese Maxey's long-term ability at point guard. And then I'm going to quote something else, uh, that they did not think that DeMontis Sabonis or Pascal Siakam, uh, they don't think organizationally they felt those players were championship altering or perfect fits on the roster. Now, 
Obviously, the perfect fits in the roster part is is a reference to Joel Embiid. Sabonis and Embiid conflict. Siakam and Embiid kind of conflict because that's that's two positions where you know you want Embiid on the inside and and Siakam is a is a streaky shooter at best. Um, and and Russell would be a point guard, and offensively he could work with Embiid. But like if you really believe in in Maxi, like Maxi's got three more years left on his rookie deal. He's making two point six million dollars this year. I mean, and and I think you could argue he's having a better year than D'Angelo Russell right now. So I I I just I struggle to see a world in which if if they're they're holding out for Harden, they're holding out for a huge star that the Sixers w- would say, okay, you know what, we let's do Russell. Maxie's emergence, I to kind of augment your point, Fred. I almost called you Frank. I don't know where that came from. There's a Frank in here somewhere. Um, Maxie's emergence has complicated things in a good way for Philly, but for for the Ben Simmons suitors, uh, it's taken a few things off the table. I think you know, like we were a little surprised to to, to get a sense from the Philly side that you know De'Aaron Fox wasn't necessarily a, a really high level target for them. But that makes sense, right? When you think about Maxi, like, you know, is De'Aaron Fox helping you win more games than Tyrese Maxey? Um, same thing with Russell. And, and it kind of goes back to Philly's calculus, where, again, I know it's an unpopular opinion. Folks generally think that Embiid deserves to have an all-in attitude from his front office right now because of how well he's playing. But they, at the time of this recording, the Sixers are two and a half back of Brooklyn in the East and the way they are kind of framing this is that even with Embiid missing 11 games, even with a bunch of other injuries and COVID stuff from other players, you know, they, they're still within a stone's throw of, of the mighty Nets. Now, that, you know, Brooklyn's had its own issues too, but they're right there. And so they're just not seeing how some of these players who aren't named James Harden and Dame Lillard uh, are, are helping them get to the next level. So that's the change here, right? That's where the Minnesotas of the world, and then you guys can pick where we go next, all these other squads seem to be maybe finally starting to look beyond that landscape and and explore other stuff and, and kind of compartmentalize the uh, the Simmons situation. Well, Sam, I have a follow up question yep. before we choose where to go next. Um, so you guys reported that basically they're willing to take this into the summer and, and they could use Simmons as a piece in a hardened sign and trade, which is kind of their ideal dream scenario. Right. Let's say. James Harden resign. Let's say they do that. They take it to the summer. James Harden resigns with Brooklyn, or just doesn't end up in Philly. Uh, Bradley Beal. I think the most likely scenario is he ends up going back to Washington. The Wizards are very confident that he's going to end up re-upping there. And there's not necessarily a Dame piece in place, or they're just a Dame trade in place, or they're they're in the same spot with Dame. Like, what do they do? Like, do you know, do you have any inkling at that point they don't end up with Harden? They don't end up with Beal? Like, now they're still in the same situation with Simmons, and now you're just taking it into the end of 2022 and 2023. Do you do you, do you have any idea when a breaking point for this might be? No, I don't. And I think, you know, we thought that the, this trade deadline might be the breaking point. And I think what we're seeing now is that it's not. And more specifically, it's worth highlighting from our piece that, you know, very good intel that Daryl Morey has the backing of ownership to go beyond this deadline. Because that had been a real question. Around the league, there was a lot of folks saying, no, I think he's got that pressure coming from the ownership side. He's got to get something done. Now, does he have the backing of ownership to go into next season and not do something this summer if those guys that you mentioned don't pan out? 
I don't know the answer to that. Um, the answer most certainly might be no eventually, because I think the one part of the story that we haven't really explored and, and is certainly coming if a deal doesn't go down is the general idea of Ben Simmons as a declining asset, not to dehumanize it at all, but like, you know, you already have teams that are like concerned about how they haven't seen Ben play in a while. What kind of state of mind is he in? Obviously, you know, he's been citing mental health as a major reason for him not playing. You know, once that clock keeps ticking and now you haven't seen Ben on a floor since game seven against Atlanta, you know, however long ago, then then at some point the league does move on and the D, the league does have no faith in who Ben is as, as a player and, and what you're getting in return you know, kind of dwindles and withers. And, and that's the nightmare scenario for them. So yeah, it's a calculated risk. And I probably said it on the pod before, you know, I, I do think in terms of I'm a sucker for trying to understand how other people move, you know, like Daryl, the idea that, that if you go back to the Houston, the, the end of the Houston era for him, and when he made that Russell Westbrook trade, you know, and sent Chris Paul to Oklahoma city and just realized kind of the hard way that when you buckle the pressure, uh, a lot of times you you look back on it and you're kicking yourself. And I, he obviously doesn't want to do that here. He doesn't want to be looking at, you know, um, D'Angelo Russell in a Sixers jersey and just going, why? 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 Like this didn't move the needle for us. And so uh, he's he's in a tricky spot. But the fact that he has backing matters again and and the James thing to touch on that lightly. I mean, I'm well aware. I mean, there was skepticism on Twitter right away about the, the plausibility of a James Harden signing trade with Brooklyn. Bill Simmons had a few things to say about it, and I get it. But first of all, as a general ethos in today's NBA, when a player decides he wants to be somewhere, what does the track record tell us about somehow, some way? A lot of times that happens. Especially um, when he's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, all it takes, I mean, there's a couple scenarios, a couple, you know, playbook, you know, or I guess plays that he can, he can take from the superstar playbook. Chris Paul with Houston, you know, essentially told the Clippers, if you don't want to cooperate, then I'll just sign outright somewhere else. I have other landing spots that I'm comfortable with. That creates the leverage he needs. So instead, Clippers cooperate and he opts into his Houston deal or to his deal, just get, you know, essentially forces the trade to Houston, then makes more money on the back end when he resigns the following summer. Um, he could go that route. He could, you know, sign and trade with Brooklyn is possible. Sixers are way over the cap. This is why they've been trying to attach Tobias Harris to trades because their life gets a lot easier this summer if they get rid of that $70 million over the next two years. So there's a bunch of ways they can go. But the other aspect of this is, you know, I do not have clarity and I don't think Shams does either on exactly, you know, what, how James sees the net situation in terms of his future. But let's say at minimum, he wants to make sure that Brooklyn doesn't try to give him any sort of short-term deal and he needs some leverage to, to get, you know, either, a, you know, opt in with the four-year max, whatever route he's going to go. You need to be able to tell Brooklyn, like, if you don't want to give me everything, then I'm going to force my way to Philly or go somewhere else. So, I mean, James has power, leverage, options, and uh, and the, the Sixers know that. And there's just a comfort level too, man. Like, people cannot forget that Daryl Morey is the guy who empowered James Harden, arguably, you know, more so than any superstar player, not named LeBron James in this era. And I, and I think that part gets overlooked. Harden and Bede would just, what a wrecking crew that would be. My goodness. If it's, if it's really James, right? Like that. That, that's my only thing. Like James has been somewhat up and down this season. You know, like if he's motivated, if he's that guy, um, no, I think it could be great. There's some folks who feel like, 
you know, they, they question whether or not James would be excited because Joel spent so much time in the lane. You know, you always have kind of that 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 big wing dynamic to to kind of take into account. But no, well, it would be it would be one, good. One of the obvious risks of that, of many risks of going down that path, is like if Brooklyn just has like a good playoff run. I assume James Harden would, you know, all is right in the world, and he would probably stay. That's probably still like in my opinion and certainly not like super behind the scenes informed on it, it's still like overwhelmingly likely right that he just keeps it going in brooklyn i think so but it's also it just depends on who you talk to there's some folks that you know to take the you know even wider lens look at it who who focus on the fact that you know when daryl left houston everybody thought he was just taking some time off then he winds up in philly very shortly after that you know the the plan at that point that, that this hall had everything to do with James that the plan was to get James and and move the Houston operation out to Philly and and keep the train rolling away from Tillman Fertitta is that what you're talking yeah about? well and that's where and there was nuance here but you know we wrote about the day of the the Harden trade and the fact that Tillman reaches out to James and and kind of lets him choose says we got Philly you know, we got Brooklyn what do you want and he says Brooklyn and. And Tillman essentially was was relieved. So that's that's good because that's what we want too. And a lot of folks thought he never would have sent him to Philly because of the personal dynamics there. Um, you know, the Rockets certainly deny that was the case and that it was real. The Sixers thought they were used as leverage. So the By backdrop the way, is if they if they would have sent him to Philly, this would have taken a whole lot of drama away from the last however many months because that would have been the Simmons trade before the Simmons trade was even a, a storyline. No doubt, but you know this league, man. It would have been the next thing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's, see, let's let's try to get a little more coverage uh, in, in this week's pod because we are hyper focused on some of these Simmons storylines. Um, I want to throw one at you, Fred. You know, we we talk Western Conference a little bit with Minnesota. Um, your Knickerbockers are you know hovering around five hundred, and I wanted to get your opinion of Mister Julius Randall or anybody else on the Knicks roster. Let's just talk Knicks trades mood. Uh, motives, all those things. But Julius in particular, you know, it's like, man, they, they give him the big contract. He's, he, he's just a celebrated, you know, player out there and doing special things. And man, is he falling off this year and the crowd is just killing him. And uh, you know, he's had some tough moments, obviously, you know, telling the crowd to, to, to shut its mouth, getting fined, not, not doing media. Shut its mouth. Is that what it was? Yeah. This is, this is a kid's pod here, Fred. This is, you know, <laughs> it's not really, but that was me being G rated. Um, yeah, like what, what's going to happen there? I mean, is there any chance that, that Julius gets relocated here? Um, how does this 
Where does this go? I will. Uh, I have absolutely no. To be clear, I have absolutely no intel saying that they are actively trying to move Randall. Like I have none, uh, and I would be surprised if I found out that they were. To be honest, um, so they signed him to a four-year, hundred seventeen million dollar extension. Although it could be a hundred and six million with with incentives this past year, and that kicks in next year. So he's really got five years left on his deal starting this year, and. He came off such a great year last year, but so much of it was because of his jump shooting. You know, if you look at Julius Randle historically, he's really like, he's extraordinary at being able to get to the hoop. And that was what propped up his efficiency basically every year of his career until last year. And the irony of it was that the year he wins most improved player is the year that he takes the fewer, the the, the less he, t- he took less shots at the rim last year, proportionally, than he did any other year of his career. The jumpers were just falling. He all of a sudden becomes you know, a next-level three-point shooter. He shot 42 from three. He's making a ton of mid-range shots and really difficult mid-range shots. And this year, the jumper has fallen back to earth, and, and the shot selection hasn't really gone back to where it previously was. Um, I'll have a story out later this week about that, actually, uh, just about he plays so many minutes next to a rim diving center that he's not really able to get to the hoop because there's somebody there waiting for him. Uh, and and I think we've seen a negative effect on him because of that. And it's not just the jumpers. Uh, the defense is, has taken a fall. I think his passing hasn't been as good. He's really struggled against double teams. Um, that all being said, the Knicks are not trying to get worse right now. Like I don't see a scenario where they say, you know what, let's see if we can get a young piece for Randall. Um, and a, and I don't see a scenario in which they say, you know what? Let's sell as low as possible on the contract with as many years remaining as there possibly will be and him playing basically his worst basketball that he has in a few years. I, I just, I would be surprised if they got to that point. I think it's more likely, you know, they just made the reddish trade where they traded a first round pick for somebody they think they're going to, who's going to be able to help a young player, but someone they think is going to be able to help. And I just, I think if they're going to make a move, I think it's more likely to be in the direction of something that, that makes them better after they were the four seed last year and they're 11th in the East this year. Playing fever, baby, win now. Playing tournament ruined the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm telling go. all you. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a key point there. Like, this would be selling Julius <laughs> Randall at his like lowest possible value. I was trying, Freddie. Freddie, I was trying to think of some version of of a uh, video killed the radio star. That's you know, playing tournament killed the trade deadline. Says Fred Katz. You know, it would have probably been in their best like interest from a like very cold but calculated um front office perspective to trade him like last season right when he had this sudden like and wasn't that thought to be somewhat part of like the knicks uh strategy of these like short-term deals with these vets it's like okay boom one pops well now he's valuable on the market boom you you know you get assets um but i mean as you know being around there like one pops and then the fan base falls in love with them oh we're chasing the four seed oh we're maxing them out and then now boop flips on its head he's locked in long term to a big deal and you know it's tough to trade him because you're it's a little like the d'angelo russell thing we were talking about earlier you put him in a trade and most teams go oh that hurt your package because it's all about contract value. Right. I, I also think there's a world in which Randall recovers a lot of the value of the contract, to be honest. Like I, I, I don't think he is going to play worse 
than he has so far this year. His his efficiency is way down. His his passing has been worse. Uh, his defense is, I think, probably the worst it's been since he came to the Knicks. Like, I don't see a world in which it's the 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 contract gets worse, barring some sort of extreme, unpredictable scenario like an injury or something like that. And it's not like they signed him to a super max deal. I mean, his his contract, he's he's basically making, you know, like 26 million a year starting next year, which is nowhere near like, you know, it's not like he's making 35% of the salary cap. There it's a large number. And right now, I don't think it's a desirable number around the league. But if he starts to play, he doesn't have to play like he did last year. You know, when he signed that contract, that was celebrated actually as as kind of a, a mutually beneficial decision. They thought, okay, if he plays at 90% of the clip that he did last year, it's team friendly, and he still gets the security of a long-term nine-figure deal, and and it's kind of the best of both worlds. On both, it's a, you know, it's a win-win for both sides. So I don't think he has to all of a sudden go back to the level he was at last year when he made second team all NBA in order for that to be a a you know a sufficient contract uh and and something that's looked at at least you know with some amount of respect by the rest of the league. It's just that right now I think he's kind of been playing like the worst version of himself and it's just weird dynamics. I mean Sam you referenced it like he didn't he didn't talk to the media for seven consecutive games. Why, yeah, uh, that just, part didn't get mentioned in the yeah. league's release, which is worth, you know, I know fans aren't that interested in media access issues, but it is fascinating how, you know, the statement said the Knicks, I believe it said that they're fining, or he's fined 25 grand for not appearing in last night's game. And, and to your point, you know, it was seven straight games, which uh, independent of media, just that that's a, that's a human being that doesn't feel like talking about his work life. Yeah, and the greater the greater context of there's a greater context of it too. Like it didn't happen out of nowhere. Uh, you know, on on January sixth, they win in a in a buzzer beater against Boston by R.J. Barrett and and Randall during the game gave a thumbs down to the crowd. The crowd had been booing the Knicks earlier and booing Randall earlier, which is not uncommon at Madison Square Garden. And uh, and so Randall, after he made a big play late to pull the Knicks within, I think it was four. He uh, he gave a thumbs down at the crowd, which is a very obvious ode to the 2021 New York Mets, who whose uh, you know top players were giving thumbs down to the crowd for booing New York them. athletes just turning on the people. How was just New York sports environment? Such a happy time. I know it you went East Coasters, cats. Y'all need to chill. Ben Simmons can't handle Sixers fans. Meanwhile, the Nets are over there competing for a title, just begging fans to come. please come boo us. Just show up and care enough. Warriors fans, meanwhile, watch Clay Thompson shoot 20 percent. and They're screaming at Slater for telling people how it is. Do not tell us his shooting percentages. <laughs> and then after that game, when he gives the thumbs down, he, you know, we Stephen Bondi from the New York Daily News asked him what that was all about. And he said he was telling the fans to, uh, I'll say STFU, Sam, to keep it family friendly. Say it. Uh, He was telling them to shut the fuck up. That was his quote. Uh, Wait, so we're going to have to bleep it. Sorry, Andrew. There's no bleeping. We don't bleep. bleep. This is athletic. That was Uh, just me being a pansy earlier. I've been with my kids all weekend. For seven straight games after that. And, and you kind of saw him, uh, you know, you saw his play deteriorate, and you can just you could you could see the frustration building. Uh, and and I do think it's salvageable. We we just haven't seen it salvaged yet. It's a very weird situation. 
it's a very weird situation. It is indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So the Utah Jazz were uh, at Chase Center last night, and I'm, I'm going to riff a little bit in the same fashion that Slater and I did on the Warriors pod, but it, it relates to good old tampering as well. The Jazz are an interesting trade deadline team. Um, Justin Zanuck, their GM, now working with Danny Ainge out there, was at the Warriors game, was on the road. Uh, and it is that time of year. You see executives traveling quite a bit. And it just kind of got me wondering about what the Jazz will do. Um, Joe Ingles' name has been out there quite a bit. He's expiring this year, uh, having a tough year, but still a guy who can obviously be a playmaker and shoot the heck out of it at his best. $13 million this year expiring. Jordan Clarkson is somebody that people have talked about where the Jazz at with him. Um, and Slater... Fred had made some, some good points last night just in general regarding the Utah defense. I think right now they're 11th in defensive rating. That's pretty subpar for a Rudy Gobert team. And perimeter defense specifically was an area where they're not forcing a lot of turnovers. Um, and, you know, the active hands and aggression, you know, outside of the bigs is just not happening. And you start kind of just workshopping who might look good in a Jazz uniform. So I think that kind of colors where the Jazz's, you know, heads might be at in terms of what they would love. Um, you know, I don't know who that is, but they are, to me, a team that knows that, you know, they're looking around and, and the opportunity is still there to to do something special this year. They have enough talent to be in that mix and that conversation. Could, could Marcus Smart be had? I mean, it seems like he's been perpetually in like trade rumors and seems like he would fit a lot of what they need as far as like perimeter bulldog. And one of the stats I did mention last night because the Warriors had four turnovers late in the in the uh, third quarter, you know, thinking about a Warriors Jazz potential playoff matchup was like the Jazz forced the least amount of turnovers in the league, 11.9 per game. I looked last night 30th. Um that's particularly bad against the Warriors cuz the way to beat the Warriors is to turn them over like Memphis does, but um yeah, I mean that to me speaks to a lack of just like disruption, length, and, and you know any type of oomph on the perimeter. And I don't yeah. know. I'm just I mentioned Marcus no smart, smart would 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 be. I think I think Marcus is is gettable, uh, but I also think Boston values him at a high level. So what does that look like? I don't know. Harrison Barnes is another name I've I have heard tied to Utah. Um, you know, the Kings, they could obviously. use like a hybrid forward like that. Like, I mean, we mentioned Jeremy Grant earlier. I think Utah would be a great fit for someone like him. And he doesn't have to play all the way like he did in Denver. It doesn't have to be that extreme of role playing, but you can let him go off the dribble and stuff every once in a while. But he can guard multiple positions. He's long. You know, I think he can get into passing lanes and, and that could help out Rudy Gobert a lot, I think. They might, to me, like the type of defensive player they might need more is like almost like a Beverly type not that I mean Beverly's been good he's part of that lineup we talked about earlier with Minnesota so I'm not even saying you can get him but that to me like it's more like you know on ball guy than like you know they have Royce O'Neal they got you now Rudy Gay now and they 
I, obviously, I think they could use a wing. The entire league could add, a, a, you know, a good three and D wing. But what do we what do we think in general? I'm just trying to look at, at avenues for them to to find a deal. Um, you know, Jordan Clarkson on paper, you talk about a six man of the year, uh, but he's shooting 39.8 percent overall, 32 from three high volumes. Uh-huh. Yeah, seven high volume eight, and he's a bad defensive player. Like that, he he's bad defensive player. I mean, easy there, Slater. You know, Steph Curry's not even hitting 32% from three lately. You know what I'm saying? Guess what, Sam? <laughs> that has been discussed. Why don't you go listen to our podcast last night? That has indeed. Steph Westbrook. Oh, what am I doing here? Um, yeah, Clarkson is uh, is falling off a bit, but his contract is incredibly team-friendly uh, for a guy that is such a you know an impact scorer. He's got 12.4 this season, 13.3 next 14.2 player option in 2023 20, 24. So, you know, he he's a guy that could move the needle a little bit I think in talks, but to what degree I'm not sure. It's, that could potentially be on the moves. Like is there is there an Atlanta deal where they end up getting a couple of pieces there that that ends up working? Is there like a Pacers deal that ends up working because I feel like those are the teams where you can recoup those pieces, right? Go get a TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell is, I mean, he's he's a hell of a defender if he's healthy. Um, I'm drawing a blank on on sure. You're you're testing me on you know top of mind uh, wings. I mean, this is a big, but a dude who gets out on the perimeter. You mentioned Atlanta. Um, you know, can Gallo help anybody right now? Gallo is certainly a guy that that is not uh, defensively. Yeah, not Utah. We're let's we're moving on from Utah. He's not a Utah type player, but. Um, you know, as we keep making the rounds, you know, Gallo was was really good last year for the Hawks and things are different this year. He's got twenty point four million this year, but his deal next year is is uh, only minimally guaranteed, even though it's at twenty one point four. So, you know, he's somebody the Hawks have had out there quite a bit, uh, you know, not a game changer, but but could help somebody, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, he can still shoot the hell out of the ball and he can do stuff out of the post. I mean, it's it's. It's hard to bring in someone like that mid-season, right? With that that kind of salary, you're going to have to send out a good amount of money. I mean, I, I, I feel like if the Hawks are going to make a move, they're probably going to consolidate for something bigger, right? Yes. Um, yeah, they're trying to, to you know send at least two out for one uh, impact player. They're well aware that they are – too deep, which is uh, not a problem a lot of teams have, but it, it has been a problem this year. They're playing better lately, by the way. Or they won like five in a row, something like that. Wow, I'm sleeping on the Hawks. I didn't realize they'd turn it around like that. Yeah, the, there's been some real good wins mixed in there. Uh, you know, that that's not going to decrease Travis Slank's, I think, like thirst to, to shake it up a little bit, but they've at least kind of stabilized themselves, I think. Yet still four games under 500. Yeah, they've won four in a row. Beat Milwaukee, Minnesota, Miami, Charlotte. Got the Kings coming up, so that'll likely be five in a row. Oh, Sam, um, Sam. And Boston and, and L.A. The uh, I know we're going scattershot here, but the Celtics, guys, let, let's go back to them a little bit. They're pretty interesting. This is Brad Stevens' first trade deadline. And, you know, all those years of Danny Ainge running the show, now, Mike's Aaron, uh, as always, is is a major voice within the front office, and Brad and, and Mike are, uh, you know, have a ton of, uh, you know, they're in sync. Those guys get along extremely well, and I think are are like minded. So, not a major 
philosophical shakeup, but nonetheless, your head coach is now the head of your front office and, and, uh, and I'm dying to see what Brad does. You know, Jalen Brown is, is someone that we talk about a lot, but they, they continue to, to indicate is not going anywhere that Jalen and Jason Tatum are, are not the problem. Um, and then smart. I mean, we've talked about it before on the pod. Uh, if you go back to the bubble, you know, when I was around the Celtics at that time, like you could just tell, like they love Marcus, but he runs so hot. He runs so cold. You know, it, I felt like the Marcus smart chapter out there was, was, uh, was kind of coming to an end for a while. And then we'll see if that happens. But well, did, didn't you feel like the fact that Brad Stevens was elevated to GM is what like saved the Marcus smart era there? Cause clearly like Brad Stevens values Marcus smart. Much more yeah, but it, the personal there. dynamics that have been well reported uh, out there, you know, between Jason and, and Jalen and Marcus, you know, I just think it's always been a situation to monitor. You know, they they've talked pretty openly about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, anytime you take your head coach and and give him roster control, he's not going to let go of a guy like Marcus Smart lightly. Just because of, I mean, how much of a well, he like extended him right away. That was like one of his yeah. first moves. Yeah, right. So, but he knows his value in the league too. I think it was a safe play because, I mean, Marcus Smart's a hell of a player, man. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with Schroeder. You've heard noise about him as potentially available for a while, but you know they they're a couple million over the luxury tax, so like they're they're gonna do something even if it's small, just to get under the tax. Like there is just, there's no way that team is ending the year $1.8 million above the luxury tax well, or whatever they, they are right now. They already executed that three-team three, three team blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was which, just shattering. Which is why I wonder how much that affected Schroeder because you you hear stuff about, you know, you heard stuff about Schroeder's potential availability earlier this year. People around the league who believe Boston might, might move on from him. But part of the reasoning behind that was because they were, you know, give or take about $5 million over the luxury tax and Schroeder's salary. If you could dump it into a trade exception or something like that, could get them out of it completely. And now after trading Juancho Hernan Gomez, they, they got even closer down to the luxury tax line. You don't necessarily need to trade him. And, uh, you know, you have, you have, uh, you know, it's not like they're, they're loaded with point guards or anything like that. Like he is their point guard. I, I mean, I, you could, you know, historical price point says like maybe you get two second round picks for Schroeder. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to see. I feel like you could probably resign him, right? Like, why is his market this year going to be different than it was last year? He's fallen off. I mean, he's just like from the days of four for eighty four. No, nah, I'm good. L A. It is. You know, look, he was, tax, <laughs> he was taxpayer mid level, and I don't know. I mean, he has not done anything in Boston to play himself out of taxpayer mid-level, you know, at best. So, right. They can give him, they can give him, they can pay him like seven point something million dollars to bring him back. I feel like, you know, maybe someone gives him the mid-level maybe, but, eh. um, we should maybe all pick one more team. I want to talk Oklahoma city quick. Um, I feel like they can get involved in this deadline as just, you know, you mentioned the Schroeder, you know, throw somebody onto an island. Hey, just absorb this contract. How far, like Oklahoma City is some like 20 million below the salary floor or something like that. To me, they're just waiting to absorb expiring deals and take picks back with them. And, and to me, they're kind of, a, uh, you know, a ship to help maneuver a three-team deal. So they're a team that interests me. Yeah, they are. They are the third. They should just be the Oklahoma City third teams. Should honestly <laughs> be. Like whenever you want a third team, the first team you call up is the Thunder because they are... They're literally like like seventeen million dollars. Like, how far are they below the salary floor? 
Like they're so far below the salary floor. It's insane. Let alone the salary cap. Um, Total you know, cap you know, allocation. Oklahoma City for- thing to monitor, which is not necessarily trade dine trade deadline related, but is an incredible thing. Um, the, they own the Clippers first round pick this year unprotected. And the Clippers right now are without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And they're only five up in the loss column on top five lottery odds. Like the Thunder could end up going into the lottery this year with two picks with top five odds. Like that's, it's going to be a really, really big deal. Uh, if, if that ends up happening that way, because the Clippers are kind of diving right now and we don't know when we're going to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor again, probably won't be anytime soon. Uh, so that, that is, that is a thunder thing to follow. Uh, to your question, Fred, total cap allocations for this season, $46 million. It's pretty wild to look at the Thunder's cap sheet and see one player making double-digit millions. Derek Favors at $10 million. Don't forget about Kemba Walker. Ah, fair. They did <laughs> cut a check there. Indeed, indeed. Um, they, got, they got the Kemba Walker buyout on the books. Slater, I can't go a tampering pod without – talking a little bit about the team you cover and you wrote today that the Warriors have no plans to add a center uh, during deadline season because Kevon Looney is proving to be incredibly durable. Uh, again, we talked about it a little bit last night, but for this different crowd here, what's the calculus there and, uh, and, and how do you see that situation? Yeah. I mean, it's not just about Kevon Looney to me. Kevon Looney has allowed them to execute the, plan that they want which is to keep the roster stable because if Kevon Looney wasn't 47 of 47 in games played this season they basically would currently have no center available uh, because Draymond Green is dealing with this back calf you know kind of ambiguous injury that that's going to have him out uh, for for a little while James Wiseman has not played a game yet this season and when they came in when they built this roster the expectation was James Wiseman would probably return by December January and they wanted to pass to get him playing time, right? He's a valuable, um, you know, they used a valuable draft asset on him second overall. They, they need him to get reps. He just hasn't been able to get on the court. Um, but because Looney has played well enough, they don't want to change up right now their 15-man roster. They, they like all the different varying pieces that they have, including the, the guy who, you know, grabbed the 15th available roster spot is Gary Payton II. There's no way they're getting off Gary Payton II right now. I mean, at this point, the bigger conversation behind the scenes is like, what are they going to have to potentially pay Gary Payton II this summer? Um, so, you know, he's safe because they're 34 and 13. They're taking a patient approach that, I mean, there's obviously a belief that Draymond and, and even Wiseman, even though that's, that's less important than Draymond to this season, um, will be back at some point, um, probably, you know, in the next month or so. And I think they're going to be one of the quieter teams at the deadline. I do not expect activity. How's Bielitsa playing? Not that well, to be honest. Uh, you know, he, it's funny. He had opening night in Staples. He was, like, great. He closed the game. He had, like, these clinching assists. He had Draymond Green talking about, like, I didn't know this guy could pass like this. You know, what a pickup. And and the basketball world was saying, like, how they stole this guy on the vet minimum. He's been not great lately. He's been trying to do a little bit too much of that, like, you know, showing off why I was the EuroLeague MVP passing stuff. He's gotten really turnover prone. He's passed up shots. He has not shot 
plotted as well as they'd probably hoped, but um, they still like the idea of Bialito, which is a stretch big, which they haven't really had since like the most Spates era. Um, that you know, when he's on the floor with Draymond Green, you know, he's a, he's a six foot eleven body that can shoot the ball twenty eight feet out, um, and also you know he's he is skilled and can pass. And Steve Kerr kind of always likes that type of big, so. They keep playing them, you know. I think that there's a little bit more like angst for the people who follow the team, and you know, his defensive issues have popped up more and more lately. I think with Draymond Green gone, some of the weaknesses of some of these players have shown. But to me, I think they value a Bielita and the skill set he brings more than any, you know, vet minimum big that's potentially out there that can just come in and maybe like you know bump a body a little bit harder. I think the idea of Bayelitsa should be the name of Slater's first book. Yeah, that's the book I should go with. Yeah, the idea of Bayelitsa. This entire career that you've carved out. It's not going to be a bestseller, but it's going to be critically acclaimed. But Fred Katz (laughs) will read the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. I'll love it. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe that's an article. How about that? I should steal the Zach Harper bit and and introduce Slater as author of the the J. King, but author of the ideal of Bayelitsa. Um, cause I ask about him cause he's to me, the prime candidate to, you're right. Gary Payton, the second's not going anywhere. If there was anybody that might've been, you know, losing the game of musical chairs in the Warriors world, I thought maybe it'd be Bielitsa. And that was a, a, uh, a, a backhanded way of asking real quick, your uh, opinion. I just wondered, did the Warriors, you think, give any thought to a DeMarcus Cousins reunion on no. a 10 day? No. Yeah. They're just, that they're not interested in that. Um, uh, but I do think like just because again I reported that the, right now there's no current plans to get a center like you know stuff can change Kavon Looney could have to deal with, with with some type of you know injury or a buyout candidate could emerge to me they're more of a buyout team I think you know and, and that's something we 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 never talk about until boom trade deadlines over and then it's like oh yeah it's like kind of buyout season at this point right um, and obviously I mean look they're, they're they're a very appealing destination for particular types of players and a name I'm watching at least and I'm not I'm not reporting that there's anything brewing but Marcus Gasol hinted recently publicly that like an NBA return is in the cards for him if he wants it uh, and they have long been at least you know, uh, interested in the idea of Marcus Sol in a Steve Kerr system, right? I mean, he is the David West, the, the Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, there you go. The yeah. idea of Marcus. <laughs> um, so I, that's like a name, maybe like come March. Remember what they did with Andrew Bogut a couple seasons ago? Remember the the random Bogut return in March? Yeah, yeah. So something like that could happen down the line. As of now, the fifteen they have, they're pretty settled with, um, but that could change. The random Bogut return is going to be the sequel to the idea of Bailitza. There you go. Let's get another Bogut return. Is, is one of those in the cards? Uh, he, I think he has uh, tapped out on his playing career. He's now a political pundit in uh, Australia. That's a, that's for another pod. That's the Ethan Strauss pod. Um, <laughs> all right, Fred, do you have a last team to, uh, to hit on before we say goodbye here? Yeah, I have... I have no idea what's going to happen with Chicago now with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso out long term. Um, And they've been playing so well. And Caruso, and part of the reason why is because their defense has totally exceeded expectations. I mean, DeMar DeRozan and and Zach Levine have rightfully gotten tons of attention for how good that team is. And and they're, they're one game out of the best record in the East right now. But their defense has totally exceeded expectations. And the reason why 
number one above all else, is because Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball are both playing at all defense caliber levels this season. I mean, I think you can make an argument that that either of them should be on the first team. Uh, and and now they're missing both of those guys, and I, they have to be they have to be concerned about how their defense is going to fall off without both those guys because when you got Vucevic in the middle, the, the great and he's he's much better defensively than he used to be. But the greatest way when you don't have an elite rim protector to form really good defense is just just make sure nobody even can get to the rim. And that's what happens when Caruso and Ball are on the floor together. They like to play those small lineups with those two guards and then with DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic. And, and those lineups have been good for them. Uh, and and I don't know what Chicago is going to do. It's too soon after to really have an idea of, of where their philosophy is going to shift. But that's a team that was really good and and had the best record in the in the conference not too long ago. And losing those two guys is really important. And and I, I you know, they're gonna be back by the end of the season. At least that's the expectation. But uh, you know, maybe they want to make something so they can just stay afloat and they don't, you know, kind of kind of you know, plummet down in the standings over this time when those two guys are out. As an addendum to that, man, Grayson Allen, what are you doing? You know, like, like I feel like you, you got a reset on reputation when you enter the NBA. So we know that he came in with that rep as being a dirty player from his Duke days, but tough play. Um, that the second swipe on Caruso is, you know, it's one thing to go for the block, obviously, but man, he just, he keeps following through and Alex goes down and, and that is game changing stuff. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect the Bulls to, to reach too far for a temporary move that, you know, that kind of helps them bridge the gap between now and those guys coming back. They've got a good formula. They know that. I think you've got to roll the dice with hoping those guys are ready to roll come playoff time, but a tough break because uh, defensively you would expect that they're going to fall off. And Caruso in general, man, is like, just come back. And he's having such a good year and such a cool story with, uh, with the way he left the Lakers and whatnot. So um, I hated seeing that. And, and then the Bucks, you know, put out a you know, questionable video on social media the next morning with, you know, with Grayson taking a bite out of a donut, just people felt like it was, you know, to, you know, kind of taking the whole situation lightly. So tough stuff there. Um, y'all, I appreciate you. I'll think, add uh, Sam. I'll add one thing on the Knicks too. Yep. 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 Uh, Cause we talked Randall, but we didn't really talk Nick stuff. I, I think it's very possible. They make like a move on the margin where they kind of, we were talking about the, the Hawks doing a, a, you know, a two for one sort of deal. Like I would not be surprised if the Knicks did something like that just because they just traded a first round pick for Reddish. Yeah. They you've written Kevin, about the playing time crunch. Yeah. 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 Like they, they, they included Kevin Knox in the deal, but Knox was there for salary reasons and, and nothing else. I mean, he's not part of the Knicks rotation. So they bring in a guy who you'd expect to be part of the rotation uh, and they don't send anybody else out. When everyone is healthy, once Rose comes back, Kemba Walker is 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 basically back now. Uh, Nerlens Noel is basically back. Once all those guys are there, there are just way too many players. Quentin Grimes is looking really good, like really good. Like he's hitting forty percent of his threes and has been very good defensively for a rookie. And Tom Thibodeau, I think, is extremely impressed with the way he's played, and he's kind of solidified a rotation spot with all these guys out. Uh, and I could see them. You know, someone who is young and and talented 
to varying degrees is not going to be in the rotation after that reddish trade and and I I could see that reddish trade which they got done really early they got it done you know a, a month before the trade deadline so they have time to make another complimentary deal I could see it being part of a bigger picture down the line where we look back on it and we say oh okay the reddish trade came in part because they were looking to trade you know fill in the blank guy and and I could see them putting together a, a number of combinations to trade for a number of sorts of players who is the best 23 and 24 team in basketball? Is it the Knicks, the Wizards, or the Los Angeles Lakers? I don't know. It's a good question. Those are the three 23 and 24 teams. I just had to the take a, so weird. a little party hey, shot, so- Sam. Sorry. I look at Sam's face for that one. No, I was trying to form my own opinion. Although you just broke what I was going to announce that we that I somehow got through an entire podcast without talking Kings or Lakers. but But that has just come to an end. You've taken a few stray shots at the Kings during this. That's process. true. That's true. And we'll talk about Frank Vogel next week. We'll see. And I just took a stray shot at the Lakers, so there you it go. all came full circle. All right, that's what we got on the trade front this week, gentlemen. I appreciate you, uh, Slater. Nice to do a pod that's not in a vehicle. Uh, great to see you again, Freddie. Thank you for joining us. I know things are uh, tough when the Knicks make you go three hours to practices, so I'm glad it worked out this week. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you. 